Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, April 28th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 32. Starting with the second paragraph, reading for context only through the first paragraph of page 33. Today's readers are Gina R., Rafi G., Carolyn S.H. The share ID for Thursday, April 27th, 10 a.m. meeting, Eastern Standard Time, 9774. And Friday, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, the share ID is 9887. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lindsay B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everybody. This is Lindsay, recovered in New Hampshire. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Lindsay B. I will now ask Nancy T. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Julie. This is Nancy, compulsive overeater in Lewiston, Idaho. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. 
We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share in what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book on page 32, starting with paragraph, um, the second paragraph, A Man of 30. We're going to be reading through that paragraph and the first paragraph on page 33. The first paragraph will be read for context only, and we will be focusing our shares on the first paragraph on page 33. I will now ask Gina R. to begin reading. Thank you so much, Julie. This is Gina R., gratefully recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body in Colorado. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. When I um, initially got sober from alcohol, I was 23 years old. And I remember reading this story in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it stuck with me. I never drank again, but I never knew that my real drug of what some people call of no choice was actually food. And I did not get that wake-up call fully until last year in May. I'm coming up on a year of being recovered, and it so happens that I was 55 years old. I'm 55 right now, but I was 55 when I got that lesson, and that's when I understood my powerlessness 
over um, certain kinds of foods and food behaviors. When this says um, this case contains a powerful lesson, most of us have believed, and that is really where I am with my program right now. There is more to quitting drinking than quitting drinking. If if I want more of everything this program has to offer, more of everything that I can get by um, through my spiritual development, then I have got to lay aside my um, belief systems that get me into trouble. And that's what I see happen to this guy. He did really, really well in his business. And he, it said he was successful and I think happy. Um, that's what I'm understanding right now is that I have made a bunch of decisions in the midst of my disease that were not in alignment with God's will for me. And I was not happy, joyous, and free. I was trying to force myself into a situation that wasn't the right fit for me. And what's happening to me now is my ego is being right-sized and I am seeing what I am actually supposed to be doing. And that means I'm making some very um, different kinds of decisions for myself. And some people may look at them and say, wow, that looks really scary. Like, I'm closing down a business that I started up four years ago and attempting to do something completely different. Um, while it is scary, it's a different kind of fear and a different kind of respect that I actually um, am able to walk through right now because I'm hand in hand with my higher power and I see myself as everything I need is and will be provided God works through me, and with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Tina Hart. Who would like to share on the second paragraph that was read, which is the first paragraph on page 33? Stephanie N. Stephanie N. G. Terry H. Terry H. Ginger C. Ginger C. Kathleen O. Kathleen O. Okay, we'll stop with that. So Stephanie N. followed by Sue G. Hello. Good morning. This is Stephanie N. Recovered in Kansas. Um, Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Um, In my mind, I I understood that I had a problem, um, but in my heart, I didn't. And that's um, where I had to get to before I could really um, get to the point where I am now. Um, Logically, I knew that I shouldn't be eating certain things, but I thought that... um, if I wasn't binging and I wasn't restricting, then then that meant control. Um, I understood that an alcoholic could never moderate, and I understood that a drug addict couldn't moderate. I mean, the idea of someone moderating heroin or cocaine seems ridiculous. I mean, it seems completely ridiculous. Um, and so um, I spent my first seven months in program moderating. Um, I had what I thought was a perfect food plan and it allowed me to eat my binge foods in moderation. Um, and I thought I was abstinent when I started working with my sponsor, I told her what I was doing and I, and I uh, was excited about my food plan and I, and I really thought it was, I was abstinent, um, controlling my substance. Um, but it was a false sense of control. It was a, it was a complete lie because, um, because I was thinking about the food all day long, even though I wasn't binging on it. Um, and it was this chapter that showed me that truth. This chapter smashed that idea that I could ever control my binge foods. I wasn't controlling them. They were still in control. They were controlling me because even though I wasn't binging, um, I was thinking about them all the time and that mental obsession was still there. And so until I completely let go of them, I wasn't free. 
I am an alcoholic with regard to food. It is my drug of choice, and I am powerless over it. And I understand that truth today, not only in my mind, but in my heart. Um, today, there is no lurking notion that I can control my food. And I am grateful for that truth. I'm, I'm just so grateful to be free from the mental obsession um, and from the allergy. I am also grateful that my sponsor introduced me to the big book, and I'm grateful that she wasn't scared to challenge my ideas about controlling my substances. I'm grateful for my humble reliance on God, and mostly I'm grateful that I had the spiritual awakening and that God, my higher power, whom I choose to call God, has freed me from the alcoholic hell that I was living in. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you so much, and have a, a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. And, and Sue G, you're next, followed by Terry H. Sue G, star one to unmute. Okay, I thought I was unmuted already and I was talking. Um, this is Sue G from Michigan, recovered by the grace of God. I had my own experience, um, similar to his, only not so many years in between, but um, I didn't have a sponsor at the time. I was trying to work the program, but I wasn't working it um, the way my current sponsor has me working the steps. But I was not having any sugar. And um, I was doing well. And then um, I started going somewhere where they had candy bars. And I slowly started to have one here, one there. and uh, But only when I went to that building where I was going to a meeting. And, and all of a sudden, it got me. And someone told me about a store I could go to where I could get them real cheap. And I went. And thus, my demise. I mean, there, there I was, you know, buying packages and packages of them. And um, that was my last binge. But boy, it really, it really, um, it was a month. And I was totally out of control until I finally gave the leftovers to my husband. And he said, I can't keep eating your leftovers when you don't want the rest of them. And that was it. And I realized that I was pushing, I was becoming a uh, candy bar pusher. And I thought, well, I can't, I can't do this. I got this is this is it, and um, and I got a sponsor, and I came to Vision, and that was over two years ago. And uh, well, I can't, I can't even imagine um, having that sort of food anymore. I have no interest in it. Um, I may struggle with my thoughts in other areas, but not with not with sugar. And uh, so I just wanted to share that. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sue G. Terry H. followed by Ginger C. Hi, everyone. Thanks. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in North Carolina. Um, yesterday, I met with my nutritionist to balance my food plan with my triathlon training, and there was a thought I did not need it to be there. I could do it myself, that I could make my own decisions around my food because, you know, I'm recovered and food no longer calls to me. You know, yesterday, um, my disease was calling to me, speaking to me, you know, and the food not calling to me is another part of my my disease. You know, in, in the reading, you know, it reminds me um, this morning that, you know, I am a compulsive overeater and I will always be a compulsive overeater. I will always have this disease. Um, I will never be uh, cured of it. You know, I cannot rest on my laurels or ever think I can control it. Um, I have a physical allergy of the body and my mind is crazy around food. The choice has been taken away from me. You know, I can't make those decisions. Um, I, I need help. And, you know, when I work my steps and practice rigorous honesty, you know, after I left my appointment yesterday, I, you know, 
contacted my sponsor, let her know, you know, what the changes, suggested changes were, and uh, talked through that. Um, my disease kept talking to me, you know, irritated me throughout the day. But eventually I was able to get some clarity around that and take action. You know, I shared that with um, my sponsor and um, another recovered person and just did some work around it. You know, today I have this program. I have these steps. Food does not call to me, but my disease, yeah, it does. It does at times when I'm, you know, open, you know, leave myself open. So today in my program, I definitely am expanding my spiritual contact with my higher power, you know, walking hand in hand with my higher power um, to have, a, you know, a happy, joyous, free life. Things are going to come up most definitely. Um, but, you know, I'm really grateful that I have this program. I have the tools. I have a fellowship. And, you know, I can continue to walk each day, every day, um, with my higher power and, you know, putting my disease down. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't have words for that, but, you know, it's it's a good day. Today is a good day. Um, and I'm grateful. Thanks. With that, I pass. Thank you, Terry H. Ginger C. followed by Kathleen O. Hi, good morning. This is Ginger C. Recovered in Colorado, and thank you for your service, Julie, and good morning to everyone on the lines. And thank God it's Friday. So um, I just love even the very first sentence on 33 of that first paragraph. This case contains a powerful lesson, powerful. And, you know, my mind is so crazy. That's why it's just a daily reprieve. But to think that, well, I've been sober now out of the food for 18 months. Maybe I can let some of these red lights go back to green. Maybe I can control them. You know, and I'm just so grateful for this recovered state because that's the last thing I think. You know, if they're red, they're red. And red means stop. It's really clear. And because of being so beaten, you know, this only progresses with the bites. And I'm grateful for every beautiful bite I had to have. Because I had to concede to my innermost self that I'm a real compulsive overeater. And I always had that, you know, this option in the back because I was never going to drink or drug. I wasn't going to break my sobriety with alcohol and drugs. But, boy, when life got a little too uncomfortable, you know that bite was coming into my mouth. But, again, because of the pain and because of where it took me, I finally took it from the head deep into the heart. And I will pray that I just never mess around with this ever because I don't think I could get sober again out of the food. You know, and I loved what my sponsor shared earlier, you know, on page 77. The real purpose and why we're all here doing this, like our lives depend on it, it's not about me, it's about you, and it's about me being of service to you. So our real purpose is to fit ourselves, to be of maximum service to God. You know, and there's so many ways to block myself from this higher power. And we know that's the dilemma. I lack this power. So, again, thank goodness it's a daily reprieve. But, you know, I love what uh, another member says. You know, what are you doing for God today? How's your connection to your higher power? Because that's your most important piece. That's what's keeping you out of the food today. And I had a friend show up last night to an OA meeting that's in such pain. You know, and I remember that place, and I remember thinking there was no hope. This was never going to end. I would be eating until my last breath. So, you know, for those of us who are recovered, we have a really important thing to do. Again, keeping it strong and keeping doing it, not resting on yesterday's work, but doing it again today and getting out of the way so God can work these miracles. So with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ginger C. Kathleen O., you're next. Thank you. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everyone on the line. Um, grateful, gratefully uh, recovered, compulsive reader in California. So no lurking notion that someday we'll be immune. You know, that lurking notion is the addict doing the push-ups in the parking lot. That if I, if I don't stay connected to a higher power <laughs> and practice the principles of these steps, 
that lurking notion will come up. I did a a pay-in way, and I lost a lot of weight. And as soon as I lost it, I was told, okay, now you can have, you know, small amounts of the sugar flour items back. And I went home, and by the end of the evening, couldn't zip up the jeans that I had worn when I reached my quote goal. Now, for a real, true compulsive overeater, that is insanity. And thank God I found this big book and this program that explained to me I have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. That's never going to change. And I'm never going to be able to have control. And, you know, that idea that someday, somehow, I'm going to be able to eat like other people, it has to be smashed. It's not going to happen. And that's the reality. And so, yes, you know, my purpose today is to be spiritual, to to be kind and patient and loving. And I'm human. Um, I don't always do that perfectly, but I know that's my purpose in life and it's what I strive to do every day and to practice these principles in all my affairs. And when I do that, I don't, my favorite line in the book is, you know, we no longer fight anyone or anything, including the food. And the food is kind of not fighting the food is really great and wonderful, but not fighting anyone or anything. That is the best part for me. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Kathleen O. And this is Julia R. I'm going to sneak in for a second. You know, the first sentence, this case contains a powerful lesson. Um, How many times did I have six weeks, six months, three years, three and a half years of black and white entire abstinence, but yet I wasn't recovered because I wasn't living in 10, 11, and 12? And I ate one thing of my alcoholic foods after three and a half years. I decided to go to a Chinese restaurant buffet after I had a colonoscopy. And the person looked at me and said, you don't do this. You weigh and measure all your food. And I said, oh, it's okay. Three and a half years. I was irritable, restless, and discontented. And I binged and purged in that Chinese restaurant after three and a half years of black and white entire abstinence. So it doesn't matter if it's a day, a week, a year, 10 years, 20 years. Anytime I ingest my alcoholic foods, and for me, you know, I just don't say sugar and flour. I have behaviors. I have um, lots of foods that would be, might appear normal to someone else. But for me, they are alcoholic. And it's, it's, I don't want that just black and white entire abstinence without having the spiritual experience. Because if I don't have that spiritual experience, I'm going to be looking for that lurking notion. I'm going to be looking for, well, maybe, maybe, you know what, it's been enough time. I haven't, I've been separated from this food. It's not sugar. And I go and eat it. It doesn't work like that. I mean, I can have almonds, but I can't have sunflower seeds. If I take a handful of sunflower seeds, I I could be years into a binge. It doesn't matter, um, you know, that it's sugar. It's what is my foods. And I can have it. Like I said, I was three and a half years separated from any alcoholic foods. And I didn't listen to my God. I had separated myself from my higher power. I had separated myself from the fellowship outside of this um, food plan, abstinence, diet with group support. And, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I will never not be a compulsive overeater. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I am um, recovered, not cured. And I am so excited that I don't have any more lurking notions. I know that I will always end up in the gutter and I might not be able to crawl back out next time. And I'm excited because I am living. I am joyful. I am free. I don't wrestle with any kind of food thoughts. Um, And I, I work on who Julie is, try to be authentic and clean up my mess when I am, uh, 
inappropriate as far as if I um, said something I shouldn't and I was mean or boastful or whatever. So, yeah, you know what? This is so much more than the food, but food's got to be down. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Lynn P. Who else? Colleen R. Carleen. Melanie C. Colleen R. Uh, Carleen, I'm not hearing your name. Colleen R. Oh, Colleen R. Okay, Melanie C. Sherry KB. Okay, let's start with Lynn P. Colleen R. This is Len T. from sunny California, and um, grateful to be recovered uh, from food addiction. You know, one of the most powerful statements in the big book and how it works is, you know, that this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And I would like to add that it's patient and sneaky because it waits. It waits for me to, ha- to not be working my steps and working my spiritual program. You know, the program says that I'm in a state of neutrality regarding the food if I'm fit spiritually. And it's re- it requires a daily maintenance of my spiritual connection to my higher power to maintain my spirituality and my emotional health. And, you know, one look at a PET scan of my brain and you would see that as a uh, food addict, uh, sugar and flour and other red light foods will light up my brain very much, uh, in fact, eight times greater than a cocaine addict's brain. Uh, and you just you could search that on uh, Google Images and, and actually see it. You could see that the my brain is identical to any other addict's brain. And so for me to get out of this idea that one day, one, you know, somehow some ha- uh, day that I will be able to engage and any of my uh, addictive foods or any addictive behavior um, is really kind of crazy. And the big book uses very powerful words. You know, this idea has to be smashed. You know, it really has to be just smashed out of me. Any lurking notion that I one day will uh, enjoy eating like normal people because my brain is different. I have an addictive brain. And so the only way I can reconcile my emotions and my spirituality is to work the steps. It keeps me out of that strange mental twist. You know, my disease is like a great white shark when I'm in the um, disease. I'm on a little raft, and I'm right there at the bottom, I mean, right there on the surface of the ocean, and there's a great white shark ready to bite me, and just this thin little plastic raft is holding me from that the teeth of that great white shark ready to pull me down. But when I'm in program and in recovery, I am on an ocean liner and I'm on the top floor and there's a great white shark down there, but the perspective is it looks more like a guppy. It's always going to be there, but it's going to be there in a lot, much less of a degree. And today my disease is with me, but it's it's a whisper. You know, it's a whisper It says, why wouldn't it be nice to go back to that? And, you know, the fact is, is that if I have a fit spiritual uh, program and emotional health, I would, you know, I would say, no way. I'm not going to go back to being over 400 pounds and having a heart attack and diabetes and sleep apnea and suicidal ideation. I mean, what is positive about that? And that's where my disease takes me. It takes me to the depths. I'm a low bottom eater. When I eat, it's it's crazy eating. It's an you know, I inhale my food, and I do it for the effect, the effect of checking out emotionally. But I have a way to deal with that today, and I, I use the steps to reconcile my emotions and my spiritual fitness, and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Lynn P. Colleen R., followed by Melanie C. Good morning. My name is Colleen R. from Massachusetts. I'm a newly and gratefully recovered compulsive overeater, but for the grace of God, Thank you for your service. The lurking notion that I shared with my sponsor this morning um, after quiet time, prayer, writing, et cetera, was that um, this is this is not going to stick, that, uh, that I will not stay recovered. And in the last couple of days, 
uh, I was wearing this lurking notion, thinking it was a scarf and it was a noose. Um, and grateful for trust God, clean house, serve others, um, because I knew exactly where to bring this once it came to me, um, to God, to my sponsor, through the structure of the big book. Um, This is the cleaning house. So I cried when I shared the lurking notion, not because I was sad, but because I was relieved, relieved of the bondage itself, Um, and shown once again that this works. And if the lurking notion is not about my food and not about my body, but it is about a belief, it is not disqualified from being shared explicitly the way I've been taught. Um, So I turned it over and resumed the steps as directed by uh, this book. Um, That's what we do no matter what. And um, so grateful for the truth tellers on the line that illuminate even more of my lurking notions so that I can bring them to God and not hoard them um, or believe that they are unworthy of being processed like everything else so I can stand in the sunlight of the spirit. Thank you, God, for Alcoholics Anonymous and your service. With that, I pass. Thank you, Colleen R. And Melanie C., followed by Sherry K.B. Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Julie. Great meeting this morning. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. This case contains a powerful lesson. My sponsor taught me that um, this book um, is filled with directions, cautions, and prayers, and I would approach it that way, that each thing that I would read, I would find a way to illuminate it to bring it to a level that it made an impact upon me these are not cute stories that people are retelling this is instructive information and I love that word lurking notion it talks about uh, something that's concealed a foolish idea that's concealed and I wanted to tell you a little bit of a story about that hopefully it's not offensive to anybody but um, I've been blessed to be um, in front of some people that are that have poured their lives into me and I have the quality of recovery that I have because of that through my higher power and um, recently within the last three or four years um, my blessed sister and she meant it was no harm whatsoever would say things like something was new on the market that perhaps I hadn't tried before and I just let it go and went along with that for a while and thanking her for the information. And then one time along the line, a couple of years after that, it was just to be, happened to be fun fodder between the two of us for a couple of years. And then um, a couple of years after that, um, I found myself telling her, well, I think that I'll just do that when I'm 80. I'll just, do, I'll just try those when I'm 80. We can write down a fun list of, of 15 items, and I'll just do that, eat those when I'm 80. And it was innocent. It truly was innocent. I gave it no more thought than that. Well, recently, within the last several months, um, I personally have had um, an experience with what I thought was very scary, white-knuckling, staying away from food, and my sponsor and I set to work, really looking at what those things were. Was it something that I was unwittingly putting into my mouth? I was very faithful with my 10-step work, very faithful with my 11-step work, very clear. I called the work that I do my my trilogy triage. I shared with God, with myself, and with another human being, my sponsor and my my board of directors, everything that I was doing. I continued to share all those things. One thing eluded me, and we finally could go no more, and I was desperate with this idea. I had no idea why I was having – I mean, it was scary, this white-knuckling thing. And I just happened to pop up, and I believe it was from a prayer situation, where my, I said to my sponsor, you know, I had this conversation with my sister four years ago, and we can't kind of sort of joke about it ever since. And she quickly jumped upon that to teach me that my thoughts become my actions and without even knowing it. And this particular disease, I want to tell you, is very covert. And it prides itself in 
trying to get me to be unconscious that every thought that I have needs to be approached. And as soon as the work was done over that and the proper amends made and, and attitude dealt with about those kinds of casual thoughts, it was gone, absolutely gone. I, and we continue to talk about how dangerously close and I didn't even know. And from that point forward, been capturing those kinds of thoughts because they matter. I've heard somebody along the way call them seemingly unimportant decisions. And it was casual. It was in fun. That's, for me, how covert this particular disease has gotten. A lurking notion that someday it turned into maybe when I'm 80, I will really try this. Someday, some lurking notion that was relatively innocent not for an addict like me. It really taught me a lesson. It was profound, life-changing, and continues to be so to this day. And I just want to share that with anybody that might be helpful to it. Thanks. Pass. Thank you, Melanie C. And Sherry KB, you're next. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California. Grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Uh, recovered but not cured. And uh, thanks for your service, Julie. Um, I love what everybody's been talking about, and you know, just these these lines. This contains a powerful lesson. Uh, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Um, we have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Um, you know, they always say that Bill doesn't repeat himself unless he really wants to bring home a point. Um, and so this is this is a very powerful sentence. Uh, excuse me, paragraph. Because it's telling me that, you know, um, if I want to stop eating compulsively, then I have to have no reservations of any kind, no lurking notion that someday I'll be able to be immune to my alcoholic foods. Um, when I'm when my nose is in this book and I'm working with others and I'm living in 10, 11, and 12, I don't have these thoughts. Um, I don't feel sorry for myself when a holiday comes up um, that I can't eat like everybody else does. Um, but my obsessions can still come in to play. It's it's still out there lurking. My obsession is my, that's what I think it is. I think it's the mental obsession that lurks, waiting for me to screw up, waiting for me to try to tell me I'm not doing this work perfectly and all of this other stuff. But I know that once I'm a compulsive reader, I will always be a compulsive reader, and I won't turn back into a normal person. It's just not going to happen for me. Um, <clears throat> and that just that I ha- I must have no reservations. And so... You know, that's what I notice is when I'm my will is lined up with my higher powers will, I don't have these thoughts. Um, and I'm not saying I don't have these thoughts when my my will is not lined up because I do have free will. But um, when my thoughts are in these thoughts, um, I'm not lined up with my higher power. And that's, that's a red flag for me when I, I start thinking that someday somehow I'll be able to eat like a normal person I know I'm in my disease, and I've always been told that, you know, it's the food is the last thing to go. So I really have to watch for my thinking, my behavior. Um, like somebody said, you know, it's not just the alcoholic food; it's alcoholic food. It's the behavior as well. And or, or being around people who say, "Hey, you look great now. You know, you don't you don't need to do that anymore, do you? Do you really have to do that? I mean, why do you have to keep doing that? I mean, I get that a lot with people, and I have to be really careful." not to let my disease get in that way either. Um, And I just, I'm so grateful because this is a very powerful sentence to remember and not to forget. And as long as I'm doing the work, I will be immune to um, compulsive overeating um, if if I turn to God instead of turning to the food. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. Who else would like to share? Penny Sue. Lane H. Okay, Penny C, Leah, Jim, and there was somebody else after Leah before John C. Carly C. Before Carlisa, who is that? Mary H. There you go. Okay, let's try these three and see where we we go. So Penny C and then Leah M. Um, Is this Julie? Yes, it is. Julie, why don't you just a few times for two minutes? I can I can leave more time for other people. I'm Penny Sue, a compulsive reader from the Boston area, and I love this story about the man of thirty and how you know after all after you know you've been uh, sober for 25 years and you've done your you know you've you've succeeded in business, 
then why not? Why not be able to go and drink again? And what I'm finding is as I, you know, I've passed that 25 years of of of, of abstinence. And, you know, it's not just my thinking. It's society, many people that I meet, that well-meaning friends, wonderful friends, people that would do anything for me but don't understand this disease, tell me, tell me often, why can't you have this piece of chocolate? It's it's right straight from Poland. My parents sent it to me, and I'm giving it to you, and you don't need to be on a diet. Yeah, look at you. You can eat this. Um, and even after I've explained and explained the disease, and, you know, these people who are not compulsive readers, I must must realize, means so well, but they will never understand as the people on this line do. You all, you all understood what I meant. I'm sure that most of us have had that experience. Go ahead, you can have a piece of this whatever. After all, you, 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 you have, you know, years and years you haven't had it in your normal way. So, so what can I do? I have to depend on meetings like this. And definitely on God, my higher power, to keep me, you know, realizing that I am a compulsive reader. I have a disease, and the only thing that I can do that will really, really keep this disease in control is, God, I'm yours, and I trust you. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. And Leah M., followed by Mary H. Thank you, Julie. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You know, this disease beat me to a bloody pulp. And, uh, you know, it uh, drove me, shoved me, and pushed me into being, have to, you know, having to live this way of life. And I am grateful for that. You know, I don't know about you, but I never wanted to be a real compulsive overeater. Um, I had other dreams for myself, but it is my reality, and I had to get an education about my illness, and I got that education from someone in whom the problem had been solved and from this text, that I had what Dr. William Silkworth calls a double whammy, you know, that I get uncontrollable physical cravings when I eat certain foods or indulge in certain eating behaviors. The allergy of the body, I had to understand that, that I am biologically mandated to want more of the same uh, when I pick up and ingest certain substances, my very cells demand of it. And that is a bad problem, and I had to understand and list all the ingredients, binge ingredients, binge substances, common ingredients uh, that create that craving. But even though that that seems like a bad problem, it's not my worst problem. I have a problem worse than that, and that's the obsession of the mind, that I would get mental obsessions that sent me back to those very same foods that killed me. And when the obsession came... That was the only thought. So I didn't have an I. I didn't know it was the only thought because it was the only thought. You know what I'm saying? So it totally took possession of me, um, hijacked me. So, you know, when I had to understand step one, it's the realization that I am doomed. And I'm not doomed because of the allergy of the body, however bad that problem is. But I'm doomed because of the mental obsession. And the big book taught me that the only solution that will ever work for someone like me is something that gets rid of that mental obsession and something that I need to apply each and every day. And I can't do it by myself because I can't stop the thinking that sends me back. I needed to be relieved of the mental obsession and the steps and the spiritual awakening and a psychic change, a personality change that was sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating that I continue to apply even to this day, three decades later, as if my life depends on it, because it does. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. And Mary H., you will be our last share. Good morning. This is Mary H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. And I just felt compelled to share one of my ridiculous, many ridiculous lurking notions, but one in particular, and it how important it was. This This... This uh, businessman and his situation just seems so kind of obvious that um, 
of course, we can't pick up later, you know, as we learn. But my mental obsession wanted to uh, negotiate that and um, think of ways and times when, no, if this happens, I will pick up and I'm justified. And first it was ridiculous stuff like um, when my daughter turns 21, I want to share a beer with her. No one's going to take that away from me. That's just, you know, I want to have that. And, and I had to let go of that. And of course I was obsessing about sharing a beer with her when she was only like 15, you know, just ridiculous stuff or having wedding cake at her wedding. But then I moved into more, you know, okay, I gotta, I gotta step it up. It has to be more serious so that I can eat. And I watched this movie Argo where some Americans were in an embassy in the Middle East and they were going to get rushed. Um, they were trying to get out, right? There was terrible stuff going on and they were all eating and drinking. And in the next morning they thought that they would probably die. And I thought, yes, see, if I'm in that situation, I'm going to eat, I'm going to have stuff. That's only fair. And, uh, and I just realized when I, you know, started thinking about that, I thought it's not that, you know, who cares? Maybe I would eat or drink in that situation. But the fact that right now I'm trying to come up with ridiculous things that will, you know, most likely I won't be in an embassy in the Middle East and have that situation. But I'm thinking in my head that, that's a situation that I would, I would eat. And I just had to call myself out and go, how ridiculous is this? And that I keep coming up with these situations that, that would be okay to eat. And um, anyway, just made me laugh. And luckily it makes me laugh now. And I really see where I just ah, stop negotiating, stop with the lurking notions. It's just taking up too much of my headspace. And um, God is lifting that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Mary H. It is now time to close our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close the reading with the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Rossi G. please read page 164? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Rossi G, star one to unmute. Oops, sorry, I had a mute problem for the first time. Okay, Rossi G from Houston. Good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.